Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back, bud. 68th episode underway and after another guest appearance, we will go back to our routine and talk a bit about the NHL one-on-one. And if somehow you've happened to miss last week's episode featuring Ian Caution, I would strongly advise you to go ahead and listen to that episode because we went deep into his hockey career and heard great details about playing in star-studded rosters of Shattuck St. Mary's, Boston College and the U.S. Junior National Teams. Hopefully soon we will have another voice starring on the show, but until then you will have to settle for my entertainment value. And this week we will focus on this year's breakout players that have made a name for themselves in the bright lights. So in a way this episode will work as a softener for the inevitable season breakdowns, which will start once the regular season is over. But before we jump to this year's breakout stars, we will go over the major extensions that we saw before and after the trade deadline, as I promised. But with that said, I think we are ready to start the episode. So DJ, give us the heat. Without further ado, let's get mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and the unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook. The biggest tournament in college basketball is here. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on college hoops and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all customers can score a no-sweat bet during round one and two of the tournament. Go to the app, opt-in, and place a no-sweat bet this weekend. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly, win or lose. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And just like that, another episode has started. And just like I mentioned, we will kick off the episode by going over the signings that happened in the midst of the highly hectic NHL trade deadline. And as custom, we've seen plenty of entry-level deals being signed by different teams, but we are mainly going to focus on the major ones this time around in maybe sprinkle in one or two of those entry-level deals as well, which might hold some value, but for the most part, we are going to stick with the big ones. And we will pretty much start from the February 28th, when Stevie Y locked down their this year's blue line surprise, Jake Wallman to a three-year, 3.4 million sheet, who is going to be mentioned later on in this episode, so we are just going to leave the speculation for later with this one. 
But that same day, the Caps also signed up one of their blue liners as Nick Jensen earned a three-year extension carrying a 4.05 AAV. And Jensen has been their steady Eddie blue liner whose bread and butter is locking down the defensive zone and so far, he's done that with above average results. So in that sense, this was a good signing by the Caps because if he would have walked into free agency, I'm more than sure that there would have been a handful of teams on his heels. But since he's 32 and really not known for his footwork and skating, that 4 million could start to weigh on the team at some point. But since the Caps are still trying to go for it even after this year, it makes sense to lock him up and keep him as a part of the core going forward. So just like in Pittsburgh, their front office is trying their best to maximize their chances of going for another cup run. Even though this year's postseason seems like a pipe dream at this point, but even after this year, his presence is needed on their back end. And I believe that they will keep all hands on deck until this aging bunch has sailed its last voyage. Orlov being the one exception. Then the next day, the Dylan Larkin saga finally came to its conclusion as Stevie Y inked him to an 8-year, 8.7 million deal. And since few people have asked me about the AAV in this deal, I might as well break my thoughts down to you as well. So, when you look at the current market for first slash second line center and what such guys have earned recently, you should understand that this deal is in line with such players as Rope Hintz, who signed an 8 times 8.45 in November, and Bo Horvat, who was just signed to an 8-year deal carrying an 8 million AAV. So, it isn't an overpayment in my books whatsoever. Much rather... I would see this as a win for the Wings since the rumor was that Larkin was seeking a deal surpassing the 9 million check mark. So keeping the numbers below that was a success, at least in my books. He has really ramped up his scoring and is currently on pace to match his last year's output, which was two points out of the point per game pace. So it looks like he has finally found his future linemates in Detroit and this will be his level also going forward. And quite honestly, I wasn't necessarily expecting him to sign his deal before the offseason since his agent had told media that they had an understanding between the player and the front office where they were going to leave the extension talks for that time frame. Given that Larkin didn't want any distractions during their final push of the regular season, but after all, it's the agent's job to handle this and I get that he and the player want certainty for the future just like the franchise, so... It makes sense that he was locked up before any other businesses needed to be addressed. And I also feel that their management wanted to sign the deal now before he broke his single-season point record, which would have probably leveraged the deal in some sense. But all in all, a tremendous signing by the Red Wings. He's been a great leader for them, and especially during the past two seasons, he has really started to take the lead. So now they have their leader signed up long-term. While the deal doesn't handcuff them at all, given the inevitable extensions that will be given to Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider. And that pretty much worked as a green light for the Beast GM, Don Sweeney, since the following day. He decided to pull the lever on their money machine as they signed the Czech goal scorer David Pasternak to an 8-year, 11.25 million deal. And with the signing, Pasternak became the 7th highest paid player in the league behind McKinnon, McDavid, Panarin, Matthews, Carlson and Leon Dreisaitl. And when you look at that bunch, you quickly understand that this was exactly the price that had to be paid for such a prolific goal scorer in the NHL. 
He's about to break the 50 gold mark plus 100 points for the first time in his career. So it's no coincidence why the Bruins have been such a dominant force in the league this year. He belongs to the elite goal scoring group of the NHL and for 50 goal scorers. You unfortunately have to pay a high price. So it was pretty well no secret even before the extension was signed that his next deal would be above the 10 million mark. So it wasn't surprising to see his sheet, especially when you look at his point totals from the past few years. He's going to be the face of the franchise once the old guard decides to head for greener pastures. And although the inevitable retooling might be painful for the fans, it's good to start the process with one-two punch of Pasternak and McAvoy without a shadow of a doubt. Also that same day, Blues locked down Samuel Blay for the upcoming season, who returned to St. Louis in the Tarasenko trade, and his contract will carry a 2.5 million annual value. Last few years in New York have been a bit rough for him, but ever since returning to Missouri, the energetic water buck has racked up 7 points in 15 games, whereas his two-year total from NY was 9, so it seems like he could find his groove in St. Louis once again. And if this trend continues next year, the Blues have their hands on a grimy bottom six forward who can chip in offensively from time to time, but to me it's still too early to draw any conclusions from his return, and so we will remain on watch what is going to happen in St. Louis before all 82 games have been played. Because the other acquisition, Kasperi Kapanen, has as well boosted his total, so at least our fans have something to look out for, despite the lack of playoff hockey this year. Then on March 3rd, we saw three extensions being given, plus one other signing, and the featured names here were Dante Fabro, Nick Aubekubel, Kevin Langinen, and Alex Chaisson. Fabro was inked to a one-year 2.5 million extension. Meanwhile, his teammate Kevin Langinen earned a one-year extension with 2 million AAV. And it has to be said that Fabro's development has slowed down ever since breaking into their top four, and he has seen some time on their third pairing this year, so most likely their front office wants to see if this will be his ceiling, and therefore were willing to just give up a show-me kind of sheet. Meanwhile, Langinen has boosted his numbers between their pipes and could be their long-term backup option, or even trade deadline chip if his numbers don't start to plummet towards the ones he posted in Chicago a few years ago. Also, the fact is that the Preds are in a position where their heading is in question, so that fact most likely played a part when deciding on if they want to lock these guys up long-term or if they want to figure out which players will be on their future plans and are about to start making moves according to their new plan. After all, David Paul most likely wanted his successor Barry Trotz to begin his tenure with the team in a decent position and by signing these two, he doesn't have to panic about signing guys in the offseason when he takes the reins in Nashville this summer. Nick Aubekubel was also signed for the upcoming season and his total cap hit for next year will be 1.225. And Caps have already started to retool their lineup and seemingly they've liked what NAK has brought to their bottom six and they were willing to lock him up for next year while they try to figure out the rest of their lineup during the upcoming offseason. After all, he has good speed and grit to his game so I'm not surprised that the Caps wanted to include him in their future plans but the bigger question here will be which guys will be his supporting cast when the puck drops on the opening night of the 2023-2024 season, so we'll see what they'll have in store before that moment arrives. 
And lastly, just like I mentioned, Alex Chason was signed for the remainder of the hockey season by Steve Y. After playing 29 games for their affiliate Grand Rapids Griffins in the AHL and so far, he's proving that Iserman should in the meantime start to figure out his new paycheck for the next season since in six games for the Red Wings, he has notched three goals and two apples. So if he continues to play like this and isn't signed by the free agency, I would imagine that one or two teams would be interested in his services due to his tremendous end for the year. And the last really notable signing came once again from Washington, as they signed right-handed defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk to a three-year extension carrying a 3 million AAV. And after that move, the Caps have four defensemen signed beyond this year in Carlson, TVR, Jensen and newly acquired Sundin. So, even though they lost a lot in Dimitri Arla plus Eric Gustafsson, they will still preserve rest of their top blue line names, although that group still screams some top four fortifications. So, their GM Brian McClellan has still his hands full for the offseason if he wants to assemble another contending team for the next year. The forward core is pretty well in place, but I would assume that one or two moves will be executed in the offseason to boost their odds for the upcoming campaign. In addition to those names, the entry-level deals that stood out to me were given to Gaden Bankier, whilst 2021 third-round pick who has had a tremendous season in the WHL, and who was also part of the gold-winning Canadian U-20 World Juniors roster. Michael Butchinger, St. Louis's third-round pick from last summer, mini-draft picks Hunter Hade and David Spasek, Blue Jackets first-rounder Corson Kuhlmans, Dallas's second-round choice Christian Cairo, Vancouver's college stud Ada McDonough, Chicago's 2023rd-round pick Wyatt Kaiser, and finally, Montreal's 2019 second-round pick Brickhouse Jaden Struble. And of course, there were a few others that I left out, but I purely chose these guys due to their recent performances in their respective leagues, in addition to their possible upside and original draft position. But those were the signings that went down during the past couple of weeks, and just before we start to go over the breakup players from this year's NHL season, I have to address a few other headlines that broke the news featuring the Flyers' GM shit show, Bruins' historical season, and finally... Carolina's playoff look in regards to Andrei Svechnikov's season-ending injury. So let's get through those so that we can get to the meat and potatoes of this week's episode. But let's start from Philadelphia, where it isn't always sunny. And if you were born before 2000s, you might get that reference. But as you may know, they fired their general manager, Jock Fletcher, last week. And to some, this was long overdue given the criticism that he has received, especially within the past few years, and quite truthfully, rightfully so. His predecessor, Ron Hextall, left him in a dire situation where the team hadn't made the playoffs during his last stint during 18-19 season, and it was becoming obvious that the team needed a new heading after his tenure with the franchise. But... Now that I look at the roster he assembled in his first offseason, I can't help but notice that it really hasn't changed that much since the beginning of the 2019-2020 season. And by that, I mean a roster which has its above-average stars in the top six. Granted that Ryan Ellis and Sean Couturier have missed a lot of games due to injuries, but still. Meanwhile, the depth options scream real mediocrity, to be quite frank. Now at least they've been able to implement few of their top prospects into their lineup, but that's pretty much the only bright side of this equation. And when it comes down to big downsides, well, get your notes ready because I'm about to start listing some. 
botch drafts, unfortunate example, Nolan Patrick, historically bad trades, examples, Rasmus Ristolainen, Shane Gostisphere, Cam Atkinson, and Ryan Ellis, in addition to brutal signings, examples, RR55, Jean Couturier, and Joel Farabee, plus horrendous outcomes, Exhibit D. First team in the NHL history to have a pair of 10-game losing streaks within the first 40 games of the season. And this happened just last year. And at this point, I have to say that, of course, no one could have predicted most of these long-term injuries. Well, maybe Ellis was on the cards, but, you know, let's just put that to the credit. So in that sense, his time in Philly was flagged with misfortune, but still... Some of these aspects can be brushed under the rug just like that. Because at times it has seemed like he has been the stupid AI GM in the NHL game series. Because some of these deals just make you wonder how long the lottery machine has been running. Because they make next to no sense at all. The team has been threading water for some time now with no significant results. So as many Philly fans have stated... It could be time for a full-on rebuild to restart the organization because, much like the Canucks, we've seen this trend occurring already a couple of times now without any major results, so the only thing remaining could be to pull the thing into smithereens and start over, even how painful it might be for their loyal and fanatic fan base. And although some people criticize his deadline actions, or actually the lack them of, you gotta remember that it In some instances, things aren't as black and white, and sometimes the higher-ups have way bigger impacts on the outcomes than what many people might think. After all, it's common knowledge that Hextall was the guy in charge during his stint and took no part in boys' club action with the higher-ups, so... In this case, the entire script could have flipped upside down, which could have led to too many cooks in the kitchen situation, but... The fact is that we most likely get to never know but just somehow I have a sense that this thing they are currently working with isn't 100% on Fletcher, despite the fact that many decisions can be traced straight back to him. But that is pretty much the short run-through of their situation. Former flyer Daniel Briere will take over as the interim GM until their front office decides on who will be the next in line on the hot seat, but all in all, It's an unfortunate but really necessary situation that they are currently facing because a breeze of fresh air is the best thing that could happen for this franchise at this stage. And one could even argue that although Philly is known for their Broad Street Bullies era and overall the rugged blue-collar reputation, this time should be used to reflect upon the fact if that is really something that will bring them closer to the cop once the next few steps have been taken. Or if it would be time to modernize the franchise and start focusing on other aspects other than just mean physical type of hockey that it is currently known for. Just food for thought. But those are pretty much my thoughts about their situation and I've talked about their franchise as a whole couple of times already, so if you want to hear my other takes, scroll down the episodes and you should be able to find at least few more. But now that we've already started with the negative headlines, we might as well continue to North Carolina whose hockey team experienced a big hit last week. As it was announced that their all-star winger, Andres Veshnikov, was going to undergo a season-ending knee surgery to fix his broken ACL later this month. 
then it's quite obvious that this will be a major blow for the team and their Stanley Cup hope since he's third in their scoring table with 55 points from 64 games. And understandably, with this the Canes will lose a major offensive cog from their top six. This most likely wouldn't have been as big of a deal if Max Pacioretty would have stayed healthy, but now that they will be without both of those guys, the question arises, which guys will step up? And you also gotta remember that they didn't lose just points with this since Svetch brings some much-needed physicality to their top six, so if they end up facing a physical four-checking team in the playoffs, they could be overrun despite their high-tempo game style. Because they've looked somewhat shaky as of late and their game has fluctuated, and due to it, their Stanley Cup odds have started to drop down, so it will be interesting to see if one of their guys is able to take bigger role on their lineup and try to compensate this loss, but I unfortunately have my doubts due to his significance for the team. But we'll see how they will manage this loss during the most crucial time of the NHL campaign. And lastly, before we move to some tire pumps, I have to give credit for the Beast because they've inserted themselves in the NHL record books once again. When they took their 50th win of the season last week and thus became the fastest team in the NHL history to reach 100 points and 50 wins in a single season. And that is certainly something you couldn't see before this year's campaign began. On top of that, if they keep their pace, which is very likely to happen, they will set new NHL records for most wins and points over a single season. So, yeah, dominant is an understatement, quite frankly, at this point. Every guy on that team is jogging along with full steam. Top line of pasta, Marichi and Bergi is, well... As good as Clock Clock 3000 with a two-hand twist. Pavasaka and Hampus Lindholm have rise to the occasion and become crucial parts of their top six. Linus Ulmark is surfing towards the Vesna with ridiculous numbers. And on top of all else, deadline acquisition Dimitri Orlov has found his inner Bobby Orr, while Tyler Bertuzzi and Garnet Hathaway have made Beast fans cream with their physical style of hockey. Taylor Hall's injury is currently the only major setback, but other than that, this is the team to beat if you couldn't read between the lines. It's been a joke how good this team has been this year, and if you could predict this before the season started, you might as well tell us the date for the next stock market crash, because I'm that convinced about their psychic abilities. You know, even though I said last year that the 2022 playoffs was some of the best hockey that I've watched in recent history, this year might trump that quite clearly if the signs follow through. And at this point, I'm starting to prepare myself for sleepless nights because the East is going to be an absolute gong show in the postseason. So pretty much I'm just waiting for the playoffs to start because I'm starting to get really aroused by the current state of the NHL hockey. And I know that I'm not the only playoff sexual on this earth, so cut me some slack, buddy, will you? But seriously, I'm really looking forward to the postseason, and while I'm waiting for that, the final regular season games will bring some of that high-intensity hockey already on the table, given that so many teams are still in the running for the last tickets to the postseason, so you might want to start paying attention to the league at this point if you want to get yourself ready for the playoff hockey, but with that said, we are done with this week's news flashes and will continue to players that have really raised their levels during this year's NHL campaigns. And I won't be highlighting every rookie in the league just because of the fact that as of right now, 
I got even too many names listed on my notes, so we will this time just focus on players that have taken significant strides in their development or on the point production front, and while the main focus will be on younger generations, few guys nicked in that have already spent a couple of seasons in the bright lights, but due to their this year's performances, it would have been crime to leave them out, so just as a heads up so that you are aware. We will pretty much go team by team. Some lineups didn't have any surprising names that needed to be pointed out, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their players didn't have impressive campaigns, but more so that their level has rise to a point where these kind of performances are expected year in and year out. But that will be the layout for the remaining episode, so let's begin this march from Anaheim, where color candidate Mason McTavish has had a tremendous rookie season with the Ducks and currently holds 40 points from 67 contests, so... It is safe to say that he will be one of the names included in the Rookie of the Year talks, despite the fact that their team has been one of the bigger point machines in the West this year. His rookie season has proved that it was not a coincidence why he jumped the draft table to third overall in 2021, and because of his presence the Ducks seem to have their first and second center spots locked up for the future in Zegras and McTavish if nothing drastic happens, so... Let's now just hope that they start to get some wind under their wings after this cataclysmic season and they start to climb back to playoff conversation like the Sabres, Sens and the Wings have done this year. Then we head to Arizona, where we see a couple of guys increasing their point totals and really starting to carve out a new possible trajectory for their entire franchise because of their performances and these names are Matias Macelli, who has 15 points from the last 18 games and 37 points in total. Yusuf Alimäki, whose total shows 16 dots from last 18 games and a 30-point total overall. In addition to centerman Barrett Hayden, who finally seems to have found his offensive groove and his own point-per-game pace from the last 18 contests. These three have really brought a new element to their game and it also has to be said that Clayton Keller has also benefited from their presence. Since he's having himself a career year point-wise and he's starting to look like the elite player many expected to see when he was drafted 7th overall in 2016. So while everything else seems to be in total shambles in the desert, these guys have really stood out and I'm excited to see what they can accomplish next year when they have a brand new bunch of guys on their roster. NCAA phenom Logan Cooley right at the far front. And as we make our way to Buffalo... I think you could guess that Tage Thompson was going to earn few credits, and if so, you were exactly right, because the guy has been a total beast this year and will be amongst the top goal scorers of the league for years to come. I can guarantee you that. His line mates, Alex Tuck and Jeff Skinner, have found the chemistry and have been lethal throughout this year's campaign with over point per game pace, so those guys are also credited with small tick taps. But we also can't forget their number one defenseman Rasmus Dallin, who has taken a huge leap this year and is amongst the top blue line producers in the entire league. Meanwhile, their supporting cast of Dylan Cousins, Casey Middlestad and Jack Quinn has been a tremendous resource for the team as well. While their first round pick, Owen Power, has settled into NHL hockey very nicely and has looked like a seasoned veteran at times on their back end. So at this point, my question will be, where this team's ceiling ends up being since the pieces seem to fall on their places little by little, and they still got good young guns coming up the ranks, so one could say that only the sky is the limit here, if these assets are handled correctly, and I wouldn't argue against that statement. I've been saying this time after time almost to a point where it has become my cliche, but 
you just can't be a Sabres fan and feel miserable when seeing the current trajectory of this team, plain and simple. They still need to work out a few other intangibles on the way, but on the roster front, things seem to be clicking, so only time will tell how far these guys are able to go once they start switching to lower gears and really challenging the top teams of the league on nightly basis. So it ends up being a collection of players in this case, but you cannot underestimate the impact these guys have had. And therefore, I couldn't leave out any of these names or otherwise I would have found myself laying on a table with a Sabres fan jumping from the top rope. So I hope you understand the point that I'm trying to make here. Calgary season has been anything but impressive and due to their established core, there really haven't been many surprising names that have emerged from the crowds besides maybe Dylan Dubé, Jacob Pelletier and Adam Rusicka, whose point pace has started to slow down but still is worth noting. Rasmus Andersson has been an absolute beast for them on the blue line in the total absence of Mackenzie Weger. Meanwhile, Dubé could be breaking the 50-point mark for the first time in his career, so since I've been waiting for his breakout for a few years now, I decided to include him because why not? After all, he's been one of their more consistent two-way options who brings his grit and speed to their lineup each night he dresses up for the Flames. But as you could probably guess, there haven't been too many pleasant surprises or breakout players within this bunch, unfortunately. But when we move to Carolina, the tone changes a bit since Martin Nages has been nothing besides outstanding this year. Any 61-point total brings me a lot of joy because I've been waiting for this to happen for some time now and have been pumping his tires quite a while, so it's great that he has finally found his offensive touch and is able to showcase it on nightly basis against the best of the best in this league. Alongside him, goaltender Piotr Kochetkov has impressed in their blue paint and because of his presence and development, the Kings are bound to recalibrate their crease in the upcoming offseason. Also, Jalen Chatfield has found his calling from their third pairing and Jesperi Kotkaniemi has been able to drag up his production numbers, so that is certainly something that their front office wanted to see after signing him to his eight-year extension. Chicago's rebuild is in full effect and because of that, they've introduced a plethora of young upcoming names to the league and so far, the names that have somewhat separated themselves are Taylor Radish with 33 points, Cole Gutman, who was just recently called up and so far has registered six points from 14 contests. In addition to former first-rounder Lucas Reichel and his six-point total from 11 games, plus young netminder Jackson Stauber, who stopped pucks in six games for the Blackhawks this season. And while those numbers are not something that could cause any earthquakes, you gotta remember that there really aren't any big-time goal scorers in the roster anymore, so... When you are playing with an AHL team, respectively, against top-tier competition, it becomes that more impressive, but that ends up being the standout bunch from Chicago. In Colorado, Bowen Byram has continued where he left off in last year's postseason, but unfortunately, yet again, injuries have plagued his this-year campaign, but a 15-point total from 28 games proves that he still has his touch, and just a couple nights ago, he scored a beautiful solo goal, so... The Avs will really benefit from his presence in the postseason if he's able to stay on the ice. Artur Lehkonen has also benefited from an extra ice time and has already passed his single-season point record by 28 points, so it's safe to say that he has been on fire and been part of the reason why they are still 
in the playoff race despite the massive injuries they've been facing throughout the year. In Columbus, the rookie Ken Johnson has impressed with his skills and defensive game and is currently on the fifth place in their inner scoring table with 33 dots from 63 games, so he as well has entered the chat when it comes to color conversation. Meanwhile, the Russian sniper Kirill Marchenko has brought an extra offensive threat to their top nine by notching 16 goals and two assists from 43 contests, and so has pretty much sealed his place on their next year's roster when the team starts to gear up for much more progressive year results-wise. Dallas's rookie Wyatt Johnston has quietly amounted himself a nice point total of 33 points from 68 games on their third line, and it looks more and more like his point production ability from the O will transfer nicely to the NHL ice as well, so while their top pair of Hintz and Robertson is locked up for years to come, Johnston has brought up the question, could he be Joe Pavelski's successor once he decides to hang up his skates, or if they start to assemble a lethal second line around this crafty offensive threat? Tidal Andrea could suit somewhere in that equation as well, since he has really improved this year and has been depended upon on both sides of the puck. Meanwhile, Miro Heiskanen has rise to another level on their blue line, and Jamie Benn has turned back the clock and sits on the second place in their inner scoring table, so there have certainly been few bright spots within this lineup, no doubt. In Detroit, pretty much the only surprising name this year has been Jonathan Berggren, whose forthcoming I've been waiting for two seasons now, so... To me, it hasn't been surprising to see him finding the points finally, and that responsibility will only grow now that they let go of Tyler Bertuzzi and Jacob Vrana, so expect his numbers to climb even more once the next season rolls around. Elmer Söderblom has been a nice addition to their lineup as well, so we might as well give him a pat on the back while we are on the topic of promising Swedish forwards. In Edmonton, though, we don't need to mention their messiah's name because we all know how big of a freak he's been this year, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins' point total has really surprised me because to this date, he has racked up 82 points from 68 games and thus sits on the third spot on their scoring table behind the Jesus himself and the German 16-wheeler. Zach Hyman is also above point per game, so we might as well throw his name in the mix as well. Although, it isn't that surprising to see his point total after seeing what his linemates currently have, but outside of those guys, Clint Costin, Stuart Skinner, and even Ryan McLeod are the names that might jump out at you when looking at their stats from this year. Costin has carved himself a place on their bottom six and has evolved into a pest-like physical specimen with small offensive upside, so... The Oils have their hands on one of the keys to success at least when it comes to filling up depth options with capable names. And similarly, Ryan McLeod has found himself from both their second power play unit as well as from the PK. So although his 22-point total wouldn't amaze you, his presence certainly has satisfied their front office. And same goes with Stuart Skinner who looks like their future first-string net monarchist. He has surpassed Jack Campbell numbers-wise and has jumped straight to the deep end from the minors when considering his transition from the AHL ice. Florida's breakout player this year has been hands down Brandon Montour, who has stepped right into Mackenzie Weger's boots with 56 points from 66 contests. And, you know, honestly, I don't know where the Cats would be at this point given that Ekblad's offense has been nowhere to be seen. And otherwise, the decor has been anything but bulletproof. So, on that front, Montour has saved their ass and will hopefully keep this up for the remainder of the year. 
Offensively, Matthew Ketchuk has been carrying the team and undoubtedly needs some recognition, but also my guy Etu Luostarinen has stepped up big time and is having himself a career year point-wise, so it's good to see that he has been able to answer the call as his ice time has increased throughout the year. In LA, Gabe Villardi has continued right where he left off last year and he's finally starting to feel the expectations of a former first-round pick We just been good to see given his dramatic injury history. But I also gotta give a nod to Sean Dursey whose offense has carried over to this campaign and with limited minutes, he's been able to put up points on consistent basis. So last year's surprise didn't end up being just a shooting star, like many expected once he ended this season in LA. And in addition to those guys, the highly touted Canadian Quinton Byfield has finally carved out a spot on their NHL roster and has 19 points from 40 games to his name. So one could wonder if this will finally be the season when he stabilizes his spot up top and becomes the talented power forward we expected to see after he was drafted second overall in 2020. This year Minnesota has seen few guys stepping up offensively, which has eased the pressure on their GM Bill Guerin who has a tough task in hand while trying to maneuver around their current cap problems. Names Eriksonek, Boldy, Addison, Gustafsson and even Steele have redeemed more trust this year due to their great performances and no one can underestimate the impact Gustafsson has had in their crease the Swede currently holds a save percentage of 0.931 and goals against average of 2.01. So, by the looks of it, if the Wild end up making it to the last dance, they'll have a conundrum in their hands because we all know what their veteran starter, Marc-Andre Fleury, is capable of when he's on his game. But since Gustafsson has been the better one out of these two, it makes you wonder who should be the starter once the tough game starts in a couple of weeks. Possibly, of course. But like I said, they have really stepped up this year and that has been a big plus for them given the scoring slumps of Ryan Hardman and Marcus Foligno. So... Ericsson AX 52 points have come in handy, that's for sure. Montreal's brightest stars breakout-wise this year have been Kirby Doc and Cole Caulfield, but since I pumped both of their tires already a couple of times this year, we are just going to move past that and bring up names Kaden Gooley, Jordan Harris and Samuel Montembeau. And although these guys haven't been celebrating with tons of points, They've taken big steps development-wise and have shown that they can compete with the best players in the league on a nightly basis. Montembeau especially has improved this game the further the season has progressed, so while he isn't considered as a future starter in the NHL level, teams are always looking for capable backups, so he could fit that mold perfectly. Nashville, though, has really embraced their rebuild slash retooling this year as they've asserted multiple young guns to their roster and no one has been as impressive on the second half of the season on their squad than Thomas Novak. Brett's 2015 third-round pick has played 35 games to date, and in those, has registered 13 goals and 16 assists, so I guess he just decided that he's a top six forward now and started to put up points, because his rise has been straight-up hilarious, if I may say so. And in my opinion, he should be drug-tested right away. The jury is still out on its future upside, but by the looks of it, their retool might be over pretty soon if their young bucks turn up to the party with the same intensity and they don't end up selling all their assets during this year's offseason. Alongside him, energy forward Kiefer Sherwood, Finn Juuso-Parsinen, top prospects Phil Tomasino and Luke Evangelista 
plus centerman Cody Glass have improved their totals and this way brings a much needed light to otherwise quite grim bridge punch. Jack Hughes has officially become the new king of the devils and all you who doubted his success on the next level must be pretty silent at this point because 100 points is just within his reach and he's going to keep producing beyond this year so reading the game notes and stats isn't that bad of a habit after all. And if I said that Tommy Novak's season has thus far been a major success, same can be said about Dawson Mercer since the fleet-footed winger currently has 50 points in his back pocket from 68 games and thus has really emerged as one of their most lethal offensive options within the last 20 games. And while these two have been the standouts, you cannot forget the other two names, Brad and Hishier, who have also been lights out this year, but there still might be one more surprise in store for them once Jack's brother Luke enters the lineup after his NCAA season is done and dusted in the University of Michigan. And before we move to New York, I have to give a shout out to young Swiss netminder Akira Schmid, who has pretty much taken over the backup job in New Jersey thanks to 0.927 save percentage and 1.91 goals against average from 14 games, so... The upcoming free agent Mackenzie Blackwood could already start to pack his bags if his level doesn't end up drastically changing within the last 20 or so games of the regular season. The Alls pretty much have only one name that stands out from their main core, and that is the Swede Sebastian Aho, who has seen 65 games worth of NHL action this year, and in those, he's been able to record 21 points, so he as well seems to be one of the names that has broken out of the AHL slash NHL bubble, but... Other than that, there haven't been that many surprises within the Isles lineup because, like I anticipated, Noah Dobson has continued to grow his game in Long Island and their other prospects haven't been able to make any significant marks on the score sheet, so he will be the lone wolf from Long Island. In the Big Apple, the name that will earn some recognition is going to be the Czech native, Philip Hedel, who has taken another step in his development this year. And a 37-point total from 60 games with third-line minutes is more than respectable, if you would ask me. Also, his line mates Kapokakko and Alexis Lafreniere have reached the 30-point mark, so those guys have continued their steady progress as well. Meanwhile, on their blue line, Brady Schneider has been the standout sophomore, given that K. Andre Miller's point increase shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who's been listening to this podcast more than a week. In Ottawa... Team Stutzla is fulfilling every Saints fan's wet dreams with this play, and a 76-point total from 64 games just proves that he as well is here to stay for good. And honestly, he alongside Brady Ketchuk have been reasons why I've been paying more attention to their game than I previously thought, because those guys are just so entertaining to watch, and although it will be disappointing if they don't end up finding themselves from the playoffs at the end of this year, this season has brought some much-needed light within their fan base, and this should be considered as a stepping stone for future success given the comeback that they've had from a somewhat horrific start. Also, I have to give shoutouts to Shane Pinto and Jake Sanderson because Pinto has finally had himself a healthy season up top and has showcased his goal-scoring ability. Meanwhile, Sanderson has stepped up to a top-four role right from the start and a 28-point total from 63 games is more than respectable for a rookie defenseman playing on a team whose level of play fluctuates on pretty much nightly basis. 
Philly's standout this year has been hands down Travis Konechny, who is on his way to break his single season point record, but we also gotta give some props to Kevin Hayes, who has had a tremendous comeback campaign in Philadelphia after a very dramatic previous hockey campaign. In addition, Owen Tippett has seen his minutes increasing, and that has led to 34 points from 62 games. Centerman Noah Cates has also been a pleasant surprise within the Flyers squad, with 27 points from 67 games. Morgan Frost is starting to fill the first-round expectations, just like Cam York, who finally starts to look ready for his full NHL journey. So, while their season has been nothing but drastic, there have been some glimmers of light in the mix, which they should hold on to, but like I said, it's going to be a big offseason for this team, and there's just no other way to look at it. Pittsburgh's only notable individual has been defenseman Pierre-Oliver Joseph, whose 17-point total doesn't take you out of your seat, but being able to fit into their top six has been a major win in this situation, but like I mentioned previously, the Pens are running dry on their top prospects, and this is just a clear sign of that. Seattle, on the other hand, has experienced few pleasant surprises, and pretty much Vince Dunn's this year's production has surpassed any set expectations. Kushi currently leads the team in points with 56 and 68, and has beaten his previous record by 21 points already. Calder favorite Matty Beniers has fitted nicely into their top six as well, and is currently cruising with 48 dots from 66 games. Meanwhile, Daniel Sprong and Eli Tolvanen have experienced rebirths on West Coast, as both guys are operating with over half a point per game pace. So as I mentioned in a previous episode, Seattle's collective effort has taken them this far and these three players are just evidence of that. So we'll see if their flight continues to the postseason and if they can be the dark horse team in this year's playoffs. In St. Louis, Sweet Color Rosin has benefited from increased ice time and has been a solid presence on their back end. Meanwhile, their deadline acquisition Jacob Brana is off to a hot start in Missouri with four goals in five games. So... We'll see if the Blues ended up being the big winner in this year's deadline. Tampa's only notable name has been their blue liner Nick Perbeeks, who has surprisingly taken over a spot on their top six and has added an extra physical element to their defensive zone. Meanwhile, in Vancouver, the Russian offseason acquisition Andrei Kuzmenko has been as good as advertised, and his 61-point total from 66 games is much more than what I was expecting from his first year overseas. His partnership with Elias Pedersen has been a treat to watch, so it makes me only hope that they can short their situation out, because otherwise those two plus Quinn Hughes go totally in waste in BC. So if you haven't watched any of their games, I would strongly suggest doing so, if possible, just because of these three names that shine on their roster. Anthony Beauvillier has also found a new spark to his game from Vancouver and has registered almost point per game in his first 20 games with the Canucks. And at this point, I also need to point out Philip Ronick's great season, because although he hasn't played any games with the Canucks yet, he has already tied his single-season point record and was a major force for the Red Wings before getting traded across the continent. Dylan Strom has become a serious top-six producer now in D.C., and he looks to be the guy to take over Nicholas Beckstrom's job once he decides to hang up his skates. Also, they've lit the fire under Rasmus Sandin's skates. Gustav Swede has already registered 10 points in his first seven games for the Capitals, 
and looks to be ready to take the next step in becoming the player the Leafs fans expected to receive in 2018. And finally, we have the Jets, whose two breakout names from this year have been Blue Leonard, Josh Morrissey, and my Canadian cutter candidate, Cole Perfetti. And as you see Morrissey's point total of 67 in 67, you gotta think that his offseason has included something else besides good diet and hard training, because the guy has been on another level this year. And although Perfetti is pretty much lined out of the Calder race thanks to Nito Niederreiter's addition, his 30-point total from 51 games is more than respectable, so let's just hope that his trajectory keeps climbing and we get to see a top 5 of Connor, Shifley, Ehlers, Perfetti and Dubois in Winnipeg if he indeed doesn't end up leaving to Montreal, which seems to be almost an inevitability at this point. But regardless, those guys have really stepped up their game during this year's campaign and have been a big part of their comeback to Lee's top teams. But that concludes my picks. As I said, few guys slipped in who've spent some time in the NHL. But if you haven't taken time to run through the stats from this year, this list will highlight you the names that have had superb seasons. And I'm sure that at least a handful of these names will withdraw out of the highlight reels. But it's always fun to see which players have hit the nerve and become players that surpass set expectations. Let me know which name has been the biggest surprise to you. Certainly for me, biggest surprise has been Nashville's Tommy Novak, whose production has been just laughable. And I have to confess that even though I expected Tim Stutzler to take a big step in his development this year and reach 70 points, I wasn't expecting him to do it in 60 games and to even crush that mark before their final game. But with that said, we are pretty much done with this week's episode, so... Once more, as a reminder, make sure you go check out the previous two guest episodes if you happen to miss them. And remember to leave a rating for the podcast on Spotify if you've enjoyed the content. I thank you for your presence and hope that you enjoyed. Next week's topic is still in the air, but regardless, remember to stop by again next Monday. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.